And it's true. It's certainly true. Mark, thank you. It's certainly true what Mark prayed. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we do here at GRX. I know GRX hoop starts next week and all the kids are going to be playing ball and VBS and Kid Zone and then we do stuff and we run around the room. But we affirm the reality of Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. It's in Jesus Christ that our hope is based. So today we are going to continue on in our series of the good and the beautiful God. And uh, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we do one Sunday where we look at one particular aspect of the community. And then the following week, we do a deeper dive into that same topic. And so last week and this week, we're looking at encouragement. And what does it mean to be the encouraging community? And our life groups are following this book by James Bryant Smith, The Good and Beautiful Community. And uh, it really arcs three years of us looking at this material. So today, as we look at the encouraging community and we do a deeper dive into that, we just briefly remind us of some of the ground that we covered from last week. Last week, we looked at encouragement from the French, and it means in courage, to pour courage or to pour bravery into someone else. And we looked at that passage in Hebrews chapter 10, where we looked at what does it mean to hold fast to our hope. The core of encouragement is to hold fast to the hope of Jesus Christ, and then to stir up one another to love and good works, and then to continue to meet together. We talked about meeting together, giving ourselves permission as a community to let the community shape us and form us. So we don't come together as consumers. You know, we don't, we don't yelp about each other in that way and, oh, that matched my preferences, so I give you a five stars. We don't, we don't, we don't come to consume the church. We come in relationship and in community to come and build up one another, to encourage one another, to train with each other, and to become more and more like Jesus Christ, disciples of Jesus Christ. And then I shared with you this one encouragement that actually comes from James Bryant Smith, the author of this book, where he writes, I am one in whom God dwells and delights, and I, along with others, live in the unshakable kingdom of God. Meaning present tense. And the followers of Jesus Christ who put their whole trust in Jesus, we live now in the reality of the unshakable kingdom of God in the time that Jesus Christ ushered in with his life. And so I love that encouragement from James Bryan Smith. I am one in whom God dwells and delights, and I, along with others, live in the unshakable kingdom of God. We live out of that. We live out of that reality. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And this is a passage where it's written to the Christians, the Christian community in Thessalonica. And this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing, and there's words about encouragement. How should the Christian community encourage one another? And who are the people that need encouragement? So with that, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to look at verses 14 through 18. It says this, and we encourage you, or we urge you, brothers, it's actually brothers and sisters, Adelphoi, it's the collection of people, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, 
Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And in this famous passage, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We're going to use this passage to do this deeper dive into encouragement. And particularly where it says at the beginning of this section, it says, encourage the faint-hearted. And what actually this word is actually a combination of two words in the original language. It's this word para and mytheomia. Para and mytheomia. So para means to come alongside. Some of you might be familiar with this idea of para coming alongside because it's referred to as the Holy Spirit. When Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in John, chapter 15 through 17, he talks about a paraclete, one who will run alongside you. That's the Holy Spirit. That's who Jesus sends to us. So this is paramitheomia, which means to come alongside, and then mitheomia with gentle words, with soothing words. And I think that's just such a great word image of what encouragement is. You come along some you come alongside someone, but not with harsh words. You come alongside someone with gentle words. So says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle and encourage the faint-hearted. Come alongside them with gentle words. The church is a place where we can come alongside each other with gentle words to encourage one another even to walk with each other in areas of our life where we struggle, to walk with each other in areas of accountability. I mean, I don't know, if you, I don't know about you, but I've been around churches and communities and, and even and just regular people. And it's a huge difference when someone comes alongside me with words of judgment or words of harshness or words of anger. For me, that, that often doesn't work for encouragement. It often just leads to a lot of discouragement. But if someone can come alongside you and run alongside you with a word of gentleness, with a word of insight, that is the kind of word that's encouraging. Sometimes you can think of the church almost like it's a gym, like it's 24-hour fitness or, you know, one of these kind of places where you can come and you can actually work out. But it's a working out that encourages our strength spiritually, that encourages our soul. So so think about this from a physical standpoint. If you wanted to work out physically, you wanted to work on your cardio, you want to work on your strength, let's say you wanted your arms to get a lot stronger, you wanted to get really strong in your legs, you would do particular kinds of exercises in the gym. If you wanted to get stronger in your cardio, you'd run on the treadmill. If you wanted to get stronger in your legs, you'd be doing squats. And if you wanted to get stronger in your arms, you'd be lifting all kinds of weights. Gaining strength physically requires two things. One, it requires a vision that you actually want to get stronger. Like, I want to be able to run a marathon. I have a vision for that. So you have a vision. Getting stronger in your cardio requires you have a vision. So I want to run a marathon I'm going to get stronger in my cardio. 
And then the second thing that it needs is then you need the actual exercises to help you get there. You need to run on the treadmill to increase your cardio. Gaining strength spiritually can be thought of in the same way. A vision for how you want to grow stronger spiritually. You want to grow in patience. You want to grow in Christ-likeness. You want to grow in generosity, in kindness. You want to grow in your prayer life. A vision for that then calls us into certain kinds of activities or exercises that will strengthen us. See, spiritual exercises, spiritual activities aren't done just for the sake of doing them. They're for the activity of strengthening us. And this passage here is full of things that we can practice to strengthen ourselves physically. This is what I'm wanting to encourage us towards. It says, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. Are you feeling, just in your soul right now, it's a rhetorical question, are you feeling spiritually idle? In your life, if you are honest with yourself, do you look in your heart and you go, wow, I live through my life and I feel spiritually idle. I'm one of those people who are actually pretty faint-hearted when it comes to living my life out in the world. Do you feel like you're spiritually weak? Because this passage is all about the community saying, we need to encourage each other if we feel this way. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. In your Bible, this word that's idle, which starts here, admonish the idle, it's also just a really interesting word. It's actually a military word. So your Bible might have a little footnote, which means when it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, when it says admonish the idle, you might have a little footnote that says disorderly or something like that. It's because this word is a military word out of the Greek, atakos, and it means disorderly. It means disorderly in a military sense. It means your stuff is all over and you can't find anything. It means that you're scattered. It means that you're dissipated. And so militarily, that is just a disaster to be disorderly and unorganized. So here in the English Bible, it's translated idle. But really it means disorderly. So are you spiritually disordered? Is your soul not in proper order? Is your spirit does your spiritual life feel misaligned? Because if it is, then you'll have a really hard time living with spiritual strength. I had a buddy of mine, and uh, when we were in high school, we were really good friends. And, um, you know, it's not, you know, some people had a car in high school, and they were really cool, and there were some of us that didn't have a car in high school, so we weren't so cool get around. But my buddy Vernon had a car. It was kind of a little red car, and it was sort of old, and it was kind of a beater. But it was pretty cool because he would give me rides in it so we could drive around. It's cool in high school. The thing that was interesting about this car was that the front end was misaligned. And so at low speed, Vernon's car ran pretty well, about 35, 40 miles an hour. It, it could run pretty good. 
as soon as we got on the freeway, if you've ever had a car that's misaligned, you know what's going to happen. The car begins to pick up speed, and then the front begins to rattle and shake and because it feels like the tires are going to come off because the car is misaligned. And the faster we went, the more pressure got put on those tires and there was just more and more noise and more and more rattling because his car was misaligned. Now, actually, there's one day while Vernon was actually driving, he was driving at higher speed. I'm sure he was driving under the speed limit, by the way, but I'm sure it was high speed. And his front wheel came off. He lost a tire. All right. So what does that mean for us? Spiritually, when we're misaligned and we live under high pressure or we're living at high speed, the tires might come off. We don't want the tires to come off. So if you feel misaligned, if you feel like you're out of order, if you feel spiritually weak, my question is this. Do you in your life have a vision for growing stronger spiritually? Do you have a desire that your life, you would be one who lives in the reality of the unshakable kingdom? Are you one who really embodies the sense that God is one who dwells and delights in you? And that your vision is one, not out of human weakness or out of spiritual weakness, but out of the strength of God's Holy Spirit living in you and strengthening you for the day. The followers of Jesus Christ, the disciples of of Jesus Christ, we train towards maturity in Christ's likeness and in strength. The Apostle Paul says it like this. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's talking about having a vision for our lives that we would live with a profound spiritual strength so that we wouldn't run in a disorderly fashion, he doesn't exercise idly, but that his life might be intentionally about strengthening his soul, strengthening his spiritual life. And so I'm going to share with you two things. One thing that might appear very simple, and then one thing that will be a little bit more difficult, that we as a community can encourage each other and strengthen each other if we're feeling idle or disorganized or faint-hearted or weak in our spiritual life. There's two things. The first thing is this. Sleep. If you've been at GRX for, say, two and a half years, you've heard me offer this as a spiritual exercise before. Sleep. So much of our life builds out of sleep. 
If you read the scriptures and you look at rest, you will even see Jesus Christ taking time to sleep, to rest. Jesus Christ rests. He sleeps. Do you know that out of all of the commandments of the Ten Commandments, it's the Sabbath, the one on rest, that I think we most often violate as a people. God has given us rest and sleep. Now, this for me is not an original idea. This actually comes from James Bryan Smith. And if you were here before when we looked at The Good and Beautiful Life, it was actually the series we called Breaking Bad. The first spiritual exercise for us to strengthen us in our spiritual well-being is to sleep. So this is the charge. This is the challenge. This is the spiritual activity for this week. Tomorrow is a holiday, July 4th. You're not going to work. I know you're not going to work. July 4th, right? You can rest. Sleep eight hours at least. And I know there are a lot of high achievers out here in this church. I know you guys are high achievers. You guys all want to, what do I do to get the A plus? How do I get the A plus? Sleep 10 hours. Now, this spiritual practice actually doesn't even come from me. It comes from a guy named Dallas Willard. If you've been around the church for a long time, you've heard Dallas Willard's name before. Dallas Willard was a professor of philosophy at USC. He just passed away a couple years ago. But he was a giant in the arena of, for us, modern-day spiritual practices. It's Dallas Willard who says, okay, we're going to go away. We're going we're to engage in growing spiritually. This is your assignment. Sleep 10 hours tonight, then sleep 10 hours tomorrow. Don't start with prayer. Don't start with Bible reading. Begin with sleep. Begin with rest. So you want to do eight hours? That's my assignment. You want to get an A plus like Dallas Willard? Go for 10 hours. Okay, what do I do if I'm like, What do I do if I'm laying in bed? Yeah, just lay in bed. Let your body recharge. But what does that mean? That means you're going to need to go to bed at a reasonable hour, like 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock. I know if you have small children, you need to feed them in the night. Okay, you get a special dispensation. Get up, feed your children. Please do that. (laughs) But I know there are some of us out here watching YouTube till way too late or cable TV or playing with whatever video game, clan, guild, whatever you are doing. (laughs) Just like say, hey, y'all, I got an assignment. I'm growing stronger in my spiritual well-being and in my soul. So good night. It's 8.30. (laughs) And I tell you, I tell you, it will nourish your soul. Okay, so that's the easy one. Okay, and some of you are like, wow, that's pretty hard already. Here's the hard one. And it's actually our soul training exercise for this week. So if you've already met in your life group, you've seen this. Accountability. Accountability is an incredible way to grow and help us grow as a community and to become spiritually strong. And in this, I'm not going to be prescriptive to stay You do this, and you'll grow spiritually strong. Part of my walking with you as adults 
is to say, how is God working and moving in you among the myriad of spiritual activities that we can do? And then for you as an adult growing in maturity to say, this is the exercise or the activity that I will take on so that I, who I am, personally, me, will grow stronger spiritually. That's the difference between educating and teaching children and educating and teaching adults. With kids, you can be very prescriptive. But adults, you have to say, you give them a vision, grow spiritually strong. Be someone in whom Christ's Holy Spirit dwells in a powerful way. And then you, as an adult, take on what that means for you to do that. In your bulletin, if you've got one, there are these three questions that are there. They actually come from James Bryan Smith. They are questions that, in terms of accountability, you would ask someone to ask these questions of you. Then you would, as a person, reflect to them your answers. It would be an opportunity for you to speak out loud, reflect on your spiritual life, and then to say, hey, this is what I am sensing God nudging me towards to grow in my spiritual well-being. So the three questions are this. Someone is going to be asking you these questions. How is it with your soul? You answer that. In what ways do you need encouragement right now? You can answer that however you want. My guess is the way that you would need encouragement would have something to do with your spiritual well-being. Something to do with the well-being of your soul. And then the third question, what, if anything, is holding you back from fully living for God? And you can answer that however you want. Wow, I'm addicted to video games. That's holding me back. And person go, well, how can I walk with you in that? How can I help you in that? Okay, so who you pick, right? I mean, you can imagine this can be a very intimate kind of thing. It can be a scary thing to reveal yourself to this person. So here's some guidelines. Choose someone you love and trust. Someone that you love and trust. Someone that you trust that they have your well-being in mind. Someone that who has some level of spiritual, relational, emotional maturity because they're going to be holding the thing that you're going to share for them, with them. You're going to want to choose someone that you feel safe with. Not someone that's going to give you a bunch of advice, not someone that's going to judge you or criticize you, but someone that you know will hold you and lovingly listen to you because that will be an encouragement for you as you answer these questions. There might be even other things. You're like, yeah, this is holding me back from fully living for God. And, and what I'd like to try maybe for this week is I'd like, to, I'd like to simply try to just wake up a little bit in the morning and, be, and just be silent. Just be silent for about five minutes. Would you help me be accountable for that? Now let me say one more thing about accountability. Because the human language is a very tricky thing. And as human beings, we are very smart at kind of wiggling around things. So I'm going to share very briefly about when you, have, when you share this stuff with someone, and they're with, with you, there's a difference between 
asking someone to hold you accountable and being accountable. There's a difference between asking someone to hold you accountable and you yourself being accountable. And the whole accountability as a form of encouragement, when you share your heart with someone, the problem is that in our language, a lot of times we say, okay, I'm going to do this thing. Would you hold me accountable? Now, you guys are smart. I'm sure you see immediately the problem with that. If I'm here with Tony and I say, Tony, I want to wake up every morning and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and I want you to hold me accountable. What that means is it puts the onus of responsibility on Tony because he has to hold me accountable. And you see how how tricky that is? So that if I don't actually do it, it's not really on me. Well, I didn't, I, uh, uh, Pastor, I, I didn't do what I said because, well, well, Tony was supposed to hold me accountable. He didn't call me to wake me up so that I could do it. See, that is the danger of holding someone accountable. If you've ever walked with somebody that struggles with addictive behavior, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. By contrast, what does it mean for us to grow in maturity? It means to be accountable. Be accountable ourselves. So if I had picked Tony and Tony asked me these questions, how is it with your soul? Is there something that's holding you back from living fully for God? Then, as my accountability partner, I could be accountable to Tony, which means I could come to him later in the week and say, hey, Tony, I want to be accountable to you about what I said I would do. You get that difference? There's a huge difference between someone holding you accountable and being accountable. That's it. One easy thing for encouragement, one tough thing for encouragement, for us to be the encouraging community. So we can sleep, sleep eight hours, or 10. And then the way that we can be in the encouraging community to one another is to be accountability partners with each other. To be with one person and have them ask you, how is it with your soul? Really, how is it with your soul? In what ways do you need encouragement right now? In what ways does your soul, which is feeling weak or disorganized, How do you need to be encouraged? And then what, if anything, is holding you back? You can answer that. You can answer, this is holding me back. This is something that I'd like to change. This is the way I'm thinking about this. Some anger I'm holding on to. It's up to you. It's up to you. If you're feeling stuck, if in your soul you're feeling weak, you're feeling faint-hearted, maybe you're feeling idle, disorganized, disorderly. Look around at our GRX community here. It's like if we were a gym, all of these people are potential workout buddies, right? And we all need that, whether we're running or working out in the gym. Right? We all need someone to come alongside us 
and say, hey, you can do this. You're doing a good job. Keep going. You'll grow stronger. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus Christ, you have given us the gift of this community. Not so that we can be a bunch of individuals living our individual lives, but that we can be an encouraging community. We can be a people who walk with each other, who come alongside each other, that we can admonish each other, that we can encourage each other, that we can lift up each other by simply listening and loving and reflecting and being accountable to one another. So God, I thank you. I thank you for the gift of this community. I thank you, God, that you give us one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.